Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hi, I'm Jennifer Blum, a narrator at Macmillan Audio. If you enjoyed the Ask Science podcast, there's a new audiobook I think you'll love from our team. It's called Spare Parts by Paul Craddock. If you like what you hear, you can find the audiobook wherever audiobooks are sold. The flaying of Sizamnes, a corrupt Persian judge, comprises one half of the judgment of Cambyses a 1498 diptych by Gerard David. Sizamnes is tied to a table, his modesty covered by a towel, lest the sight of a penis should offend us as we witness four knife-wielding torturers peel the skin from his legs, arms, and torso. His clenched teeth and veins popping in agony differentiate the still-living person from a body on the anatomist's table. The action is freeze-framed just moments before his identity and humanity are peeled away like the skin of a rabbit, leaving only impersonal flesh and bone. After the flaying, the king appointed the judge's son to replace his father at court. You can see him enthroned on the top right of the painting. The new judge's chair is a gift from the king who, for reasons of poetry and deterrence, had it upholstered in Sazamnes's skin. This image was painted around the time of the first modern skin grafts. It depicts a relationship between a person and their skin on the cusp of being dissolved, and gets its power from showing the fragility of the connection between our skins and ourselves. It's hard to imagine ourselves without our skins. They distinguish us from meat and such a prospect of extreme mutilation threatens to erase our very identities as humans. There are actually very few documented cases of flaying, though the Scythians were once famed for their skinning skills, but the first modern transplants were performed because the world was generally far more hostile to skin than it is now, and to noses in particular. In the Renaissance and earlier, Losing a nose was a constant possibility. Some would have lost theirs in fights or duels. Many other noses would have been taken as punishment, an assault on a perpetrator's sense of self. Cutting off the nose rhinotomy occasionally makes a shocking appearance in the news today, but was once a routine punishment with a long history in ancient India and at various times in Europe and the Middle East. The Egyptian penal code punished adultery through mutilation of the nose. In the mid-1160s BC, the pharaoh Ramesses III ordered the rhinotomy of his magistrates' noses. They had colluded with Queen Taya, his secondary queen who wanted her son to be pharaoh, to slit his throat while he sat in his royal harem playing board games. The no situation in Egypt, in fact, must have been particularly dire. 
Harper's Dictionary of Classical Antiquities cites a city of cut-off noses, Rhino Colora, a settlement built on the edge of a desert, populated entirely by criminals who'd been mutilated under the Ethiopian dynasty. If you look for them, you'll find people chopping off noses all over the place. In Rome, it was permissible for a wronged man to cut off the nose of his cheating wife or her lover. Pope Sixtus V tried to deter highway robbers from invading Rome and the surrounding countryside by threatening nasal mutilation. Italian traveller and surgeon Nicolao Manucci similarly wrote about Mughal horsemen losing their noses when passing through the forests of Mysore. The forest's inhabitants would run at them, spring up from behind, and cut them off with a specially designed half-moon-shaped blade. We might also add syphilis, a virulent threat in 16th century Europe, to the reasons someone might require a new nose. The disease was far more severe than the cases we see today. It started with sores around the genitals, moving on to ulcers, fever, blindness, abscesses, and dementia. One of the most horrifying symptoms, though, was the rotting and collapse of the nose, leaving only a hole. As syphilis could be but wasn't always transmitted sexually, the so-called saddle nose of a sufferer came to signify low moral standards, compounding the general shame of being noseless. Losing a nose was so horrific that in the 16th century, theologian Thomas Sanchez considered it grounds for the annulment of a marriage. Losing a nose removed the sense of taste and smell and impaired the voice, but the social isolation and rejection it brought would have been far worse. The only realistic solution for many was a nose mask. These were hardly convincing replacements. Some were just false noses dangling from spectacle frames and looked more like party masks, but seemed to have formed part of the nasal landscape, literally in the case of Egypt, since archaeologists have dug up mummies with false noses. Even famous people wore them. Tycho Brahe was one example. He was the last major astronomer to use only the naked eye, and in the final year of his life took on the much more famous Johannes Kepler as an assistant. But in his youth he got into a mathematical disagreement at a Christmas party with another twenty-year-old Dane, Manderup Parsberg. Whatever their difference, it was severe enough for them to leave the party and walk off to a pitch-black graveyard where, amongst the gravestones, they drew swords. Blind with indignation as well as the absence of light, they flailed around, frantically jabbing and slashing in each other's general direction. After a few seconds, Passberg's sword made contact, taking a good chunk out of the astronomer's nose. The two men eventually made up, and years later became great friends, and even family, when Parsberg's cousin married Brahe's brother. In the meantime, though, Brahe was disfigured and embarrassed at the idea of walking around with an ugly wound that would also be a constant reminder of his defeat. 
Consequently, he had a replacement nose created. A lowly material such as wax, his biographer claims, would have been beneath a man of his station. So he chose one of silver and gold, painted to match the shade of his skin. This claim has since been debunked by Danish and Czech researchers who in 2010 performed a chemical analysis on the artificial nose, which turned out to be brass. Portraits of Brahe show this splendid creation glued to his face, and it looks quite convincing. But if one of his friends is to be believed, the nose would now and then work itself loose, so he took to carrying a little box filled with glue he could apply whenever it started to wobble. The life of Emperor Justinian II in the late 7th century surely wins the prize for the story with the highest number of chopped-off noses and the most effective nose mask in history. It wasn't a prerequisite for a Byzantine ruler to be of royal birth, but it was important to be free from physical imperfection. A physically imperfect man, the Byzantines believed, could never become emperor. With this in mind, Justinian's father, Constantine IV, established his son as joint emperor and ordered the mutilation of his own brother's noses. In due course, Justinian became emperor, seated in Constantinople. Later, Justinian was usurped by one of his own soldiers, Leontius, who mutilated Justinian's nose and tongue to secure his own position on the throne. Then Leontius was deposed by a naval officer calling himself Tiberius. Of course, Tiberius chopped off Leontius's nose. Justinian II, so badly deformed he was known as Rhinocopimenos, the man with the cut-off nose, had in the meantime been plotting his comeback from exile. He returned to Constantinople, entering the city through a disused water conduit that ran under the walls. Once inside, he roused supporters and fought for and reclaimed the throne, overturning the idea that the imperial leader had to be free from physical deformity. According to the writings of Agnellus of Ravenna, he was wearing a replacement nose made of pure gold. For those who knew about it, though, there was another possibility to help undo the curse of noselessness, a skin graft. Thank you for listening to this clip provided to you by Macmillan Audio. To hear more, look for this title wherever audiobooks are sold. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.